Old Testament legends. Uh, I'm going to share with you a, a, a legend that most of you, matter of fact, I would believe every one of you uh, have heard of, but you haven't heard a lot preached about this guy. And so I thought we'd just kind of open it up and help you to understand him a little bit deeper. His name is Adam. Adam. And we all know about Adam, don't we? As a matter of fact, you blame a lot of your problems on Adam. And, but God doesn't play the blame game. And so if you've been doing that lately, just go ahead and repent of that. And let's go ahead and, and talk about this man because he was an outstanding individual, uh, an amazing creation of God. It, it, was, it just uh, shows that he had these great abilities and great qualities and all. And, and we're going to share some of these right straight from the Bible. And, uh, and then you're going to see something that's going to, I believe, help you uh, apply some of the truth that you hear today. And so let's begin in uh, Genesis chapter 1, right at the very beginning in verse 26. And this is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so the first thing, you know, when we look at characteristics of these legends, we, we realize that Adam had uh, this, this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be created in the likeness of God, which means that he looked like God. You know, I, I've never seen God and neither have any of you, but, uh, you know, God has a face. He has ears to hear. He has eyes to see. He has hands because the Bible says we're written in the palm of his hands. He has feet because he walks around. And so uh, Adam was made in the likeness of God. We know that. But, but even greater than that, he was made in the image of God, which means that he had all of the moral attributes of God, all the characteristics of God, and, and uh, uh, all of the innocency of God and the purity of God. And, uh, and he was able to um, fellowship with God. I mean, this is just a wonderful quality. Another thing that God did in the midst of this, he gave him dominion over the entire earth, everything that was in the earth. In other words, all of creation, Adam was given full dominion. I don't know if you understand that. I don't know if you've ever had full dominion over anything. Uh, we as fathers think we have full dominion over our sons and daughters, and sometimes we might, sometimes we might not. But, but Adam was given this full authority over everything that God had created, and it was tremendous. And then in the second chapter, in the seventh verse, the Bible says, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The, the breath of life, it, it really that word means the, the, uh, like a, a, a puff, a creative breath. And I want you to keep that in mind through this message. You're going to see this um, crop up in, in different places where we're going to go. But the breath of God came into Adam and he became a living soul. He became a living creature. And so he's in the image of God. Not only that, but in the 19th verse, it says, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a was not found a helper for, for him that was fit for him. So he had extraordinary abilities to be able to name every creature that God had created. 
Now, I don't know what kind of language he spoke. I don't know uh, if he said, you know, this is a hippopotamus and you will be a giraffe and you are a rat or whatever. But uh, somehow or another, he, he gave names, he gave identity to every creature that God had created. That, that's just an amazing ability. You know, scientists, that's those people that we really don't know but that we feel like know more than what we know, tell us that we only use about uh, 10% of our brain power. And, and some of you said, well, I wish I could tap in at least 10%. But, uh, but, but Adam evidently was operating at a much, much higher level than we are. And uh, when I think about this, when I think about having the ability uh, and brain power, I always think about high school uh, because I, I'm, let me just ask you this. How many of you, if you go back to high school, realize that you could probably ace it? Raise your hand. I mean, oh my goodness, you really don't think you could do that? Look, high school is gravy. I mean, high school is so, so simple that if you just apply yourself, you'll be brilliant in high school. You don't believe that, do you? <laughs> my wife got me through high school, actually. Actually, through biology. Biology is such a funky subject, man. I mean, who cares? Just tell me I'm alive, you know what I mean? Dissecting things. And anyway, she got me through it, but it was really gravy because all our biology teacher ever did was put the outline on the board, talk about it, and give you a test on the outline. So you had the answers to the test in your hand all week long. All you had to do was look at it once or twice, and you would make at least a C- and get through. So I think that probably we should start using more of our brains starting today. How about that? I mean, it would probably help. It would be a better world for all of us. And then in the 15th verse of that second chapter, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, here, here God is. He, he gives this man now a responsibility. Adam was given responsibility. He was actually co-laboring or active with God in all of creation. He had to go into the garden and he had to work it. Now, this is before anything took place. He had to work the garden, and that's good. That means he had to do physical labor, evidently. But, but more than that, he was to uh, keep it, and that means that he was to keep guard over it. In other words, he was responsible for it. He was given this great responsibility, co-laboring together with God. And, uh, you, you know, the amazing thing is, is that I don't know about you, but I, I quite often uh, think about heaven and what is heaven going to be like. Have you ever thought about that? And, and we all have our ideas, and some of us feel like heaven is going to be uh, a place that where we can escape from earth to heaven because we really hate earth. You know what I mean? Like we hate to work. What, it's going to be amazing if, if when you get to heaven that God gives you the same job you have on earth. <laughs> I mean, have you ever thought about that? You say, well, that wouldn't be heaven. That would be the other place, <laughs> all right? But I think the ideas of us spending eternity just kind of hanging loose, which is what we really like to do on earth, I don't, I don't know because Adam here, he's, he's in perfection. He's got the character. He's the image of God, and yet he is tilling the ground, and he's working the garden, and he's got this great responsibility. Uh, he has authority over everything, but he has responsibility for everything. And so it is with us. We all want to have authority, but I'm not sure everyone wants to have responsibility. But know this, that any authority that you ever get, responsibility comes with it. 
And so God gives him this great responsibility. And then in the 21st verse, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on man. Remember, he couldn't find anybody to hang with Adam. And he slept, he, he slept to, to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to him. Brought him, you know, here you go. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So I'm going to tell you something right now that Adam was very, very excited about this because he had been hanging with these animals. I don't know how long. You know, we don't, we don't know. We read it, you know, one verse to the next, but it could have been a, a hundred years. It could have been a thousand years. I don't know. But I, I think he was pretty well tired of hanging with the sheep and the, and the elephants and all these different creations. I mean, I love you, but, you know, you ain't right for me. And then God brings this woman to him, and he is very excited, and now he is very fulfilled, and it's a wonderful, wonderful time that's going on. They're together. The 25th verse says that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, we, when we read this, we think of it in terms of today, about being naked and not ashamed because most of us, if we, we were naked right now, we would be very ashamed. But they were not ashamed, you know. <laughs> Thank God for clothes. I mean, honestly, you know, we look much better. But watch this. They're not ashamed. And I've thought they're naked, but they're not ashamed. But, but evidently, their, their nakedness was something different than the way we look at nakedness. Evidently, they were clothed in something. You're going to find out in a minute. They were clothed in something but, but they really so unashamed and so innocent. They were so innocent. You who have had children, you know it, it happens to every parent. And if it has never happened to you, you really missed a wonderful time. And that is bath time with your little kids. I mean, I'm talking little, you know, like, uh, you know, one years old, two year olds. And uh, you bathe them and you take them out of the tub or the shower or whatever. And you, you start you know, drying them off with that nice, clean, dry towel. And, and I don't know about you, but every time we ever did this, you always reach down and you always smell their little wet head, don't you? I mean, you know, and it's so, it just, it's just something about that. And then you reach over to get the comb of the brush to brush through their hair and the towel falls to the bathroom floor and there they go. You ever had that happen? I mean, there they go. They cut out of that bathroom, down the hallway, around the recliner in the living room, laughing and giggling into the kitchen behind the refrigerator, and you're trying to find them, and they're just having a great time. And they are absolutely innocent in what they're doing, and they're just having a great time. And somehow or another, that might be a poor illustration of Adam and Eve, but it's like that, free, joyful, innocent, and happy, no clothes, and having a good time. But watch this. You got Adam and Eve. They're, they're honestly innocent. They're obedient to God, totally submitted, doing what God called them to do. And, and even they, they find themselves even obedient about this strange tree that's in the middle of the garden that God calls the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, they're, they're obedient to that because the Lord had commanded them in the 16th verse of the second chapter, commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The first choice. God gives the first choice to man. It's a wonderful choice. And, and you, you know why God gave Adam and Eve also a choice? He gave them a choice because God never, ever intended his creation to be an unwilled robot. God always gives a choice. He's given you and me, you in this room, you have a free will to do whatever you want to do. That's why I love this church. That's why I love the way Pastor Jordan is leading us because you can't run a church with rules and regulations and tightness and strictness, like putting people in a straitjacket. God gives free will. And I love that because God loves that. Even Jesus Christ was given a free will. He spoke about it himself. The night he was arrested, he's in the garden. He's there, and he is in distress, and he prays to the Father that something would change, but then it's like he all of a sudden brings himself into submission and says, but Lord, it's not what I want. It's not my will, but, but God, it's your will. It's what you desire above what I desire. You see, Jesus was given a choice, and God gives us a choice. And here's Adam and Eve, and they are free, and they are happy, and they are just joyful and innocent in complete agreement and submission to God until the test. Until the test that comes to test the free will. There's always a test. God's not trying to make anybody fall or fail, but God must give a test. Anything worth anything is worth being tested. If you've got anything in your life, inside your life, outside of your life, that you're not willing to submit to some kind of test, then something's failing. And so they're submitted to this test of this tree. And most of you know the story. There's a problem with them. There's a devil in the garden. I wish we had enough time to talk about why the devil's in the garden, but he's in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent says to the woman, now I want to say this right off that not far from the woman is the man. She's telling him that God says we could have every tree but not that tree, and if we eat of that tree, we're going to die. And the, the devil comes and he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of of it, of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I want to submit to you that that's the most frivolous temptation that could ever be given to a human being, especially to Adam and Eve. He's telling Eve and Adam, in, in essence, that if you'll eat of this tree, you're going to be like God, when in essence they were already like God. They already had, come on, they already had everything that God intended them to have, created in the likeness and the image of Almighty God with full dominion and responsibility, with great abilities, 
And yet the devil comes and he tempts them with a frivolous temptation. What is God saying here? This is what I think God is saying. I'll say this to you. And if you don't get anything else, especially you who are young in this room today, is, is that I believe that there are things that God never intends for us to know or experience. Can I say that again so we get it? I believe there are things that God, he wouldn't be disappointed if you never got involved in and that you never knew. You're sitting in this room right now and you're thinking about things that you have been involved in that you wish right now you never, ever would have known. I believe one of the things that God wants his church to have is that of innocency. He wants us to return to innocence. You know, I've heard a lot of testimonies over the last 42 years. And I I hear a lot of people testify about, you know, almost not bragging, but elevating their sin so high and so colossal when in essence we're all born with the sin nature. I hear less of people who lived a life, although they needed Christ and they needed their their sin forgiven, but yet they never got involved deeply in some of the aspects of a sinful life. And sometimes we think, oh, well, they're just good church people. But you know what? I wish that I was a good church person at 13, 19, 25. Life would have been a lot different. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So this is what happened in the seventh verse of the third chapter. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here is the legend. With all of the extraordinary abilities and characters and all this, now he falls. And might I say, not only did Adam and Eve fall when they disobeyed God, because it's not about what kind of fruit or what did the tree look like. It's that they disobeyed God, and when they fell, all of creation fell, and all future generations to today have fallen. We live in a fallen world. They had everything. But more than everything that they'd been given by God, they had the unfettered presence of God. Just this wonderful relationship with God. And instead of embracing that, Adam chose intrigue. Can I tell you that intrigue is one of the greatest temptations of the enemy? The occult, the demonic, the hidden, the darkness, it has great intrigue. And people get very, very excited about it. Listen to what the word intrigue means. This is the definition. It means to arouse the curiosity or interest. A very simple definition. And intrigue, it's amazing that I find a lot of people more intrigued about the devil than they are about the Lord. He gave into this intrigue. And my goodness. Mm. Watch what happened. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, and, and they, the man and the woman, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden 
in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. In, in the cool, you know, that, that word cool means it means the breeze or the wind. It's also used for breath. Remember God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul? The same breath is walking in the garden and the breath that brought Adam to life, now Adam is hiding from. Massive change. All innocence is gone. And it continues, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. They knew they were naked. Now, a, a lot of Bible scholars believe this, and I sort of embrace this myself, that they were clothed in the glory of God, in the presence of God. But when they sin, the glory departs. You know, the presence departed. And then they knew they were naked. And so they're hiding themselves. And listen to what God said to them. He could have said a whole lot of things. By the way, he knew everything, but watch this. He knows everything about you. But watch what he, he said. He said, who told you that you were naked? Now, you can read this a lot of different ways, but this is how I read it. I believe God said it this way. Adam, who told, who told you that you were naked? It's just like you with your teenagers when they get into areas that maybe they shouldn't have gotten into and you meet with them afterwards and you have this heart breaking and saying, who showed you that? Who, who, where were, who told you about those things? Some of you have experienced that. And that's where God is. Who told you that you were naked? And then he just finished. He says, oh, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to? Of course, the answer is yes. Who told you? I don't know if God's heart breaks. I mean, he is God. But I also believe that God is affected by frailties of his creation. But in God's normal fashion, and this is why we serve him because he's mighty, the very next verse, he gets into the giving of judgment. Now, God judges sin. He does, okay? And here he speaks to the man, and we're not going to go deep into it, but he says, man, you're going to have to till the ground now by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be tough. And, and women, listen to me, you're going to have pain in childbirth, and not only that, you're going to always want to be the boss of your husband. <laughs> and, and devil, you, you, you serpent, you're going to crawl on your belly in the dust from now on. And, and that, that's handing out the, 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 you know, the judgment for disobedience and, and doing those things. But then he goes on and he says this. But I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman... And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's just a wonderful thing about God putting things into perspective here. And he says, okay, this is the way it's going to be. 
every seed of the woman, meaning Jesus Christ, meaning his church, the body of Christ, all of those people, and, and all the seed of the, of the devil, which means people who are unbelievers, who are hostile towards God, there's going to be enmity between those two. And still today, there is enmity between the followers of Christ, not that we're better than anybody else, but between those who don't believe in the Christ we follow. There's this tension constantly that's going on. And God knew about that, but he sends the hope and the promise of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, right here in the book of Genesis. You messed up, but I'm going to fix the mess. And then it goes through many, many, many generations, and things are happening all over. But God is never caught wanting, wondering, caught off guard. God's just not, that's not happening to God. We fast forward many, many thousands of years, and there's this man named John the Baptist that has come on the scene, and he's a strange fellow, and most people, are, they're relating to him, but wow, who is he? And, and one day, he is baptizing people in the River Jordan, and, and, and to me, this is one of the greatest moments in all of human history where he stops baptizing, he looks up, he sees Jesus walking up the shoreline, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, there he is, this is he, this is the one that the prophets have talked about. This is the one that God said would come. This is the seed of the woman. Behold him, he's the one. What a moment in time. And Jesus just walks up on the scene. And John baptizes Jesus. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that then Jesus was led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for what? For one purpose, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would be hungry. Would you be hungry? I've never fasted 40 days, but I fasted enough to know that when you're fasting, you're hungry. <laughs> and that's why most people don't fast, because we don't want to be hungry. I think Father's Day is a great day to fast. <laughs> yeah, right. He's tempted of the devil. And in the third verse, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He tempted him in several other areas, but this is enough for us to make a point. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil comes to him and tempts him about turning rocks into bread. And the thing about it is, is that Jesus had the power to do that instantly. He fed 5,000 people with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. He raised the dead, healed the sick, calmed the sea, turned water into wine. He can turn rocks into bread. What a temptation. His human side pressing for food. The deity of his life knowing that he could not give in to the temptation. Here is Adam in a perfect environment, fully fed and healthy and happy, and here is Jesus in the wilderness being tempted. And where Adam fell in the perfect environment, Jesus overcomes in the most hostile environment. That's what Jesus did. 
It's amazing. It really is. Eve gave in to appetites and Adam with her. And Jesus withstood it. And I'm glad he did, huh? It's wonderful. So watch this. Jesus just simply answered him. He said, you know, it's written, devil, listen to me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live by bread. We have to. You know that. But folks, let me tell you something. If we're ever going to keep the victory that Jesus has bought, we've got to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if you don't know those words, you need to get acclimated to those words and accustomed to those words. You know, this morning I was reading the one-year Bible before we came to church, and in it the Apostle Paul is kind of defending his ministry. And he says, you know, they got these clowns that are preaching, and they're preaching for all kind of wrong reasons. But, but when we preach the good news of Jesus Christ, we do it right. And then he said these words, he said, because God is watching that was a good word for me today as I preached that God is watching. But it's a good word for you also that God is watching. And God is hearing what we're hearing. The Apostle Paul begins to speak to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about the resurrection. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. If you would read the 15th chapter, it will bless you and, and increase your faith. He says, thus it is written, the first Adam... Became a living being. You remember that when God breathed into his, his nostrils the breath of life? And the last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. There's that word again, spirit, which means a breeze, a current of air, a spirit. We see this all over Scripture. We see that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a religious leader, and he's saying to, to Nicodemus, he's saying, you know what? You have to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus doesn't understand it. And so Jesus is explaining to him. And finally Jesus says, well, Nicodemus, listen, it's like the wind. It's coming. It's going. You don't know everything about it, but it's like the wind. And then we see other places, Ezekiel speaking to a valley of dry bones in the Old Testament. And they, they come alive and they stand up. And, and there's no life in them. And then God says, I want you to breathe on them and he breathes on them and they become a great army. And then Jesus in the 20th chapter of John is speaking to his disciples and, and he just stops and he just breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? There's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There's this thing about the wind of God. Jesus had the wind of God in him. He's a life-giving spirit. He's not just a good moral man. He's not just a great teacher. He is God Almighty wrapped in flesh for us. That's who Jesus is. He's a life-giving spirit. And you don't get spooky about it. And it's not weird and all kind of craziness. It's the way that God chose to do it. I'm glad Jesus breathed on me and come. Boy, I'm glad he called my name so that I could come right out of the grave. Aren't you? <laughs> I mean. You see, where the first Adam failed in his submission to the voice of God and listened to the voice of the adversary, so Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, courageously submitted his will to his Father according to his word and overcame every temptation and destroyed the works of the devil, and he has gotten us the victory. Adam relinquished his authority. Jesus regained authority. In Matthew 28, he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. I've got it all. 
I'm preeminent in everything. I have overcome everything. I have overcome the devil, sin, and I've overcome the grave. I have full authority. The first Adam gave up all authority. The first Adam, you know what happened? He dropped the flag of the presence of God. But the second Adam, Jesus, the last Adam, he picked up the banner again. Come on now. Aren't you glad that he did that for you? I'm glad that he did that for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 18 really seals this thing. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Isn't that great? It's just wonderful. And so what does it mean for us today and sitting in this room right now? What does it mean? It means this, and, I, and I'm going to use one last verse of Scripture for you. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It's a Scripture that you should be anchored with once you're converted. The Scripture said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Come on now. The old Adam in your life, that fallen nature, that sin nature, that following after your own desires, that disobedience to God, that, that enmity between you and God is done away with, and the new Adam, Jesus Christ, has come to sit on the throne of your life, not to rule you with an iron scepter, but to embrace you with a bleeding heart and his presence, with the love of God that passes everything that we can understand, that gives us the peace of God that passes our understanding, that keeps us in eternal life. I trade the old for the new. You know, many times the old is so familiar, an old pair of shoes or slippers, that old shirt that you love, that chair in your living room that you so desire. It's all broken in. Why would I want a new one? That life that has been so easy for you to do what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it seems so comfortable. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into a new and living way. Not to follow after the similitude of the first Adam, but to embrace the life-giving spirit of the last Adam. This is God's desire for you. It cannot be forced upon you. You are a free will agent. You're sitting in that chair right now with the power to believe God, release your old life, and embrace this brand new thing called eternal life. Or you have the power to resist. It's up to you. God has done his part diligently and wonderfully. Now it's up to you to make a choice. Can you just close your eyes for just a moment and think about your life? And the question is very simple. Have you surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? 
It's not that you have to know a lot of information. It's just that you have to have opened up your heart. And if you have not, I want to give you an opportunity because that's why we're here. An opportunity to receive the one who loves you and to embrace the victory that he's won for you. A simple prayer, just right there, your heart is open. Just say something like this, God in heaven, I'm lost, I'm a sinner, I'm like Adam, but I want to be like Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and change me into a different person. I give myself to you. And now I thank you, Lord, that you died for my sins. Jesus, you gave it all that I might have it all. I thank you for leading and guiding me today as I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. And now for you who are in here who have been walking with Jesus, it's so easy for it to become commonplace. But today I believe that God is lighting a new flame in our hearts as you would to embrace him and his kingdom. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over your body today that, Lord God, you would keep us alert. Help us, Lord God, to never grow weary in well-doing and never to count the cross a common thing. Thank you for saving us and sealing us and keeping us for this day in the name of Jesus.